0: I'm Aaron Weintraub, and this is Inside Kurdistan. In the previous episode of Inside Kurdistan, I spoke with Colonel Miles Kagans about his work with Operation Inherent Resolve, or OIR. Uh, the multinational coalition created in 2014 in the interest of defeating ISIS. And in that interview, he referenced one person in particular who he deemed as inherently necessary for his success working there. And that person was Tanya Aziz. Tanya Aziz is the senior advisor to the director of the coalition. Specifically, she essentially acts as the lead cultural consultant for the commanding general of the operation. She brings international and local communities together. And I wanted to speak with Tanya about her own perspective of the coalition and conflict in Iraq in general. I think a lot of the time when countries like the United States or EU countries send forces abroad, We tend to forget that those troops rely on local assistance and those local authorities experience loss and sacrifice to the same, if not at times, a greater uh, degree in conflicts like the ones against ISIS. Uh, And it's easy to forget if you're in a country like the United States that local forces have to deal with the consequences of conflict long after other countries have pulled out. I spoke with Tanya about the loss of her friend and colleague, uh, Hisham al-Hashimi, who was a specialist and historian uh, working with OIR to defeat ISIS, and he was assassinated in 2020. And we discussed how perhaps foreign and local troops process loss differently in conflict zones. I also spoke with her about the current status of the coalition and how things have changed in recent years and what she still feels needs to be done with Operation Inherent Resolve. A quick note, I think you should definitely listen to the episode before this one, as the interviews between Tanya and Miles are very closely linked. And we begin with discussing their work together in this episode. But with all that said, here's Tanya Aziz. Tanya Aziz, thanks so much for joining me.
1: Of course, anytime. And it was very nice to visually meeting you.
0: Yes, I'm sorry we didn't get to meet in person. <laughs> Are you in Suli or Baghdad right now?
1: I'm in Baghdad.
0: Okay. I wanted to actually start with your own uh, personal connection with Miles. I was I was curious because he brought you up uh, in our interview that I had with him last week. Uh, I was curious how you became acquainted with him and sort of the the nature of your working relationship.
1: Um. I'm the senior advisor to the commanding general of OIR in Miles. At the time, in 2019 to to 20, he was the OIR spokesperson. Um, it is part of my job to advise spokesman and spokesperson, and all entire public affairs office and information um, operations on, you know, OIR operations. And for a couple of months. Um, I did not really uh, get close to him because I was busy with my own job um, and traveling with the commanding general. But then I realized uh, we needed more to to come out more publicly. And the spokesperson, I kind of realized, Miles, was he wanted to reach out to people. He loved to learn. He loved the culture. Uh, he was so excited uh, for being here in Iraq, and uh, one day I just walked up to him and I said, uh, we need to do something. Uh, we need to get you out, we need to introduce you to different people, uh, not only here in Baghdad, but also outside of Baghdad and in Syria as well with the Syrian Democratic Forces. And Miles loved the idea and he was open for it. Uh, so all what I did really with Miles was uh, introducing Miles to different people in Erbil, in Suli, uh, in Syria. We traveled several times. So from from there, we hold press conferences uh, every day. He he got to see or know someone new, even when I wasn't there so he his personality um, it was um, the reason for the friendship I have with miles and and him becoming a star. He's a star himself, but he became a star like everyone knew miles it, it was great it was it was awesome to see him grow uh, it was awesome to see him learning more every day uh, speaking to different people, from Erbil, from Sulaimania, from Hezekah, um not only locally, but also regionally and internationally. Uh, so that, that was uh, a great year for OIR's Public Affairs Office.
0: Can you talk to me about not just your own background, but sort of your own interest with being able to connect local and international communities together through this work with the coalition?
1: It's uh, it's it's part of my job, making sure the OIR is connected to different entities, different groups, different political parties and getting everyone informed and, um, you know, to, to keep the world informed of what OIR is doing as far as the mission to defeat Daesh. And uh, so it, it, is, it is part of it, making sure the command is informed also of everything that is happening locally, regionally, and internationally.
0: And last week, I spoke with Miles about sort of the importance of coming as an American to a foreign country and, and, and integrating yourself with the culture and how that's important for the future of American defense policy. And I'm curious, from your perspective, as sort of a person who has to go between both local and inter- international communities, uh, from the local community's perspective, what is important? What do local communities bring to a coalition like this?
1: Local community, um, local community. Of course, uh, they do. I mean, they have a big role in the supporting coalition forces in in both in Iraq and and Syria uh local community can provide a lot local community can also benefit from the presence of the coalition forces the stability that brought to the region uh, it was not only yes it's true it was was not only done by the coalition forces but also uh support from the local community that provided to the coalition forces whether it was by providing armed men um to fight for their own land or providing any sort of assistance to the coalition to defeat uh, terrorism or to eliminate terrorism in their area. Um, I think not often we do speak about the role of the local community, but uh, they also assisted in bringing the culture um, closer together, uh, mm-hmm. uh, t- teaching each other simple things and, you know, daily life, how people actually live and um, and learning from each other. Uh, an Eastern and Middle Eastern guy from locally uh, born and raised learned from a Western guy that works maybe close to him or may, may not even work close by, but they do learn from each other, whether they hear it from the media or social media or, you know, all these different outlets that is available to people
0: one thing that i've actually been very interested in is a big topic about soldiers american soldiers going abroad and then coming back is is the issues that they have with trauma for for and ptsd uh, specifically and i'm curious in your view how does ptsd Affect soldiers coming to another country that then return versus local forces that that stay in the in the area after the fighting is you know finished or has dissipated.
1: I am not expert in that area. I can't really speak about um, diagnose, diagnosing soldiers with a PTSD or any other illnesses. However, um, from my own background and researches, and basically experience working in this field and being overseas outside of the United States. I think um, the we, we, I'm originally from the area, and we brought up in an environment we, where we were ex- exposed to um, different lifestyles. Uh, we lived our childhood in a war, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, For a certain time, it became a norm to see, you know, uh, fighting, to to hear all these tragedies that happened when, you know, before us and after us. And I... I do think I'm not speaking like I said uh, as an expert here, but just a personal experience. For any West runner when they come to Middle East, um, in in especially in the combat zone, I think even being a soldier sometimes seeing certain scene uh, in operations uh, will be effective. Uh, obviously. Um, the 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 fight in Iraq, uh, it was not easy from the very beginning. I won't say in two thousand three, but from two thousand four, April two thousand four and beyond, it was not easy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and definitely do affect uh, young soldiers even more. Um, but like I said, I I can't really speak of the illnesses and diagnosis. You no, know, at these soldiers.
0: Of course, I understand. Uh, for me personally, mm. like my early childhood memory of like of the United, well, I guess there's the the Bush Gore elections, but then after that, it's 9/11, and I was in first yeah. grade. I remember the principal wrote a letter to the parents. I was, uh, I guess, I was six years old, and I remember watching the footage on TV like later that evening. But I feel like the memory wasn't necessarily traumatic for me. It just kind of ended up mm. coloring everything that happened afterwards in America, and. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. With with the, the, America has a different relationship with these kinds of things. For example, as a as an example of like quote unquote Western country. Um, yeah, but
1: but you have to keep in mind, like be, being a soldier uh, in in combat when things happen. Sometimes um, speaking about certain incidents it's easy but to actually live in it
0: it's not absolutely absolutely and and i think grief processes differently i think there's a certain understanding with soldiers coming from a different country for a coalition like this that you know god willing you return you you do leave this area eventually and but some people stay Mm -hmm. so grief is different for example um I actually wanted to bring up uh, a colleague of yours, uh, uh, Hisham al-Hashmeh, uh, and I was wondering if you could tell me about him as an example of of, of someone from here that that you, I know, grieved for.
1: Um, unfortunately, yes. And uh, Hisham's memory, I'm actually uh, coming up. Um, a dear friend, a very close friend, uh, we, he was, uh, he was my mentor, he was someone I looked up to. He was not only actually my mentor or a, a friend of mine, but also to many others. Uh, Hisham touched uh, literally everyone in his life that one day heard from him, saw him, uh, talked to him, or sat down with him for a cup of coffee. Um, Losing Hisham, it was, it was terrible. Uh, We were supposed to meet that day, actually, but he got a call um, for an interview. So that very same day, he was assassinated. Uh, We spoke around 4pm, literally about this time, and um, by seven, before I even call him because I was waiting for the interview to come up so we can talk and then maybe set up uh, to see each other another day or to, so he can visit um and all of a sudden I got this the message from Miles I was like no no what are you talking about and so I tried to call him and call him and call him no response but later on um, Sometimes when I see the video and I see the phone lit up you know in a vehicle I feel like maybe those were my my cold that we through when hisham was assassinated in his car um uh grieving the stages of, of grief is different from one person to another but they definitely leave uh, an empty spot in your heart uh, you know will remain in your hearts and mind always um and that was a big loss, not just me for me as a friend, but obviously first for his family and kids and for many, many other friends like myself.
0: Do you think there are cultural differences in that kind of grief during conflict?
1: I think the way we express it, maybe it's different. Mm-hmm. The way we show it is different. But Grieve is a grief. We may not be exposed to the um, the way people held, uh, hold funeral here versus in the West, but emotions, uh, I think uh, it's the same. It's just a uh, uh, culture differences is there definitely, but I don't think anyone can actually forget about you know, a loved one when they lose. So it's just a matter of how we show it and how we express it and what we are doing during the funeral.
0: And I think that's part of the idea, almost of the coalition, is that we do have a shared experience. We do, at the end of the day, have a united uh, uh, interest in, in in creating a healthy human experience for like every different kind of culture, regardless of where you are. And I, I would say, I think there's a lot of people who would look at the the coalition as it stands now and says oh isis is is, is taking care of it's handled you know these are people you know maybe in america who aren't familiar with how things are here necessarily but what would you say to that kind of critique of the coalition now and it's 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 sort of status
1: um unfortunately i'm not i think from uh, to 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 think and to see it outside the box when i look at media outlets when i read newspaper or when i speak to people uh not many people aware of what really happening or the existence of isis uh, the existence of terrorism and extremist ideology that still exists not only locally but also regionally. Mm -hmm. Uh, so a unified force, not combat force I mean a unified force uh, it requires a unified force to notify the populations people more worry about providing for their family than terrorism uh, to, to think about it from one point of view it's unfortunate because both of them are dangerous mm-hmm. um. To only think about what you provide to the family versus having a terrorist right you know right outside your door, both are dangerous. And so it's on the local government to to uh, educate the people on terrorism, to educate the people on what really happening because that still exists. Um, extremist ideology, it's, it does exist. Uh, and those are counter the extremist ideology and counterterrorism will continue for for some time, I believe.
0: And how has the OIR's role changed uh, since twenty fourteen to twenty nineteen to twenty twenty two Can you can you give me some insight on that? What has what has shifted in terms of the goals?
1: In the OIR um, during the operations to the PDH from 2014 two thousand fourteen fifteen until 2020 uh things were operational no changes however uh from training and uh from operational level and a training oir changed its mission still the mission remained defeat daesh but um now we are from 2020 until now. We are giving advice and assist and enabling our local partners. And the changes, if these changes happen, because the Iraqi security forces and Persian forces are now capable of conducting operations on their own. However, we do provide. Um, air supports, uh, we provide uh, intelligence, we also uh, assist and enable them to conduct operations.
0: And what would you like to see moving forward uh, to with OIR in terms of what kind of things do you think still need to be accomplished with its goals?
1: I think, um, I don't know, I can't say um, how long OIR will be around. but. Uh, What I like to see and what everyone in the CJTA for IR will like to see um, in the future is a unified force, a fully capable security force that can uh, stop any threats, uh, ISIS or no ISIS or any other different extremist group or non-extremist group that create hostile environment and instability in the area. Um a reform within the security forces is uh, essential by all means, whether we are speaking about Iraqi security forces or federal security forces. So those those are the things that we like to see in, in, in CJTF.
0: And to circle back, as you mentioned, in recent years, the coalition has focused more on sort of empowering local forces. Uh, Would you say as a sort of a go-between between between the international community and the the local forces, both culturally and with the coalition, we don't necessarily need as much international emphasis on these goals? Or do you think that perhaps maybe the coalition has emphasized too much with local authority?
1: I, I think they do require you know, international assistance when it comes to security forces and the reform. Uh, these are all areas the local government uh, required assistance with. Mm-hmm. Um, here, both here in the central with the central government and in Kurdistan regional government as well. Uh, that being said, I think one. Uh, Area the coalition is in assistant. It's, for example, Minister of Peshmerga first with their reform projects. Uh, coalition has been working with the Minister of Peshmerga for years on the reform project. Uh, um, luckily, some of the projects have been implemented as successful, and some unifications we can see but uh, it's still incomplete and require more agreements, required more work, uh, organizational structure. All that also apply on the Iraqi security forces. So they they do definitely require assistance, may not be available. They may have a manpower, but the structure is not there. And the world has changed Uh, the way different institutions operate around the world have changed so you have to be more uh, mobilized more capable not just with military capability but also with the manpower and institutionalize your security for institutionalizing your security forces
0: what do you mean by institutionalizing your security forces
1: well we we do um a lot of different, you know, entities, uh, security um, entities are, are there. You know, we hear different names, but they not necessary are have an organizational skill uh, structure. Uh, so unifications and reorganizations and reform projects, those are can be utilized to institutionalize all these, you know, different sectors uh, with the correct structure.
0: Well, Tanya Aziz, I really appreciate you giving me your time today, even if it's over the phone from Baghdad.
1: Uh, You kind of breaking in and out, but you are very welcome. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) You're very welcome. Have a wonderful day.
0: You too. i'd like to thank tanya aziz uh, for taking the time to talk with me and of course i'd like to thank our listeners for giving her your time as well inside kurdistan is brought to you by the kurdistan information network you can listen to other episodes on our website there's a link in the description if you'd like to subscribe to our podcast you can hit the button at the top of the page on any podcast app uh, that you download apple spotify etc and of course, if you'd like to reach out to us for comments or questions about any of our episodes, you can reach out to us at info at and that is included in the description below as well. Thanks once again. I've been Aaron Weintraub, and this has been Inside Kurdistan.